Matthew chapter 9, we will be reading this morning verses 9 through 13. The word of our Lord from the gospel says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So Matthew arose and followed him. And now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I remember as a, as a kid, always being corrected by my Aunt Michelle when I would end this sentence uh, with a preposition. It was very odd. She wasn't an English teacher. But we would ask the question, where are you at? And her response would always be the same. It would be between the A and the T, drawing attention to the fact that we just ended uh, a sentence with the word at, which is a preposition which has to have an object which would come after the preposition. So being at the end of the sentence, it's grammatically incorrect. Now, as uh, grammar and culture has kind of changed and adjusted and we've accommodated uh, people's errors, uh, it's now acceptable, actually, to end a sentence with a preposition um, in some cases. But that's always stuck out in my mind. Where are you at between the A and the T? Matthew's story begins here in chapter 9. Now, obviously, we call this Matthew's Gospel. Church tradition tells us that Matthew the disciple is the one who penned this Gospel. Um, But this is where Matthew's story gets woven into the story of Jesus. Matthew enters in on the scene and it says that Jesus is passing by a tax booth. And as he's passing by this tax booth, he calls out to the one running the tax booth, Matthew, also called Levi. And his call is very simple. Follow me. That's a call to discipleship. That is the call of a rabbi in the first century Palestinian world. Follow me. Come and learn from me. Matthew is being called by Jesus into a life, a new life, a way of living. This requires not just mere commitment or not just a single decision on Matthew's part, but his response, if he is to follow Jesus, will become a lifetime of living, a new way of living. His commitment, his decision to follow Jesus is merely the beginning of this new life. So Jesus, in His call of discipleship to this man, Matthew, this tax collector named Levi, His invitation is to a life of following. A life of being with Jesus. 
A life of being present. A life of nearness to the one he would call rabbi. A life of closeness. He would learn from this rabbi, this teacher of his. We in the evangelical world call this a relationship. You know, we speak of salvation as a relationship with Jesus. Matthew is being called, follow me. Jesus' intention for Matthew, just as his intention for us, is that he would be with us and therefore we would be with him. He even speaks in John's gospel of, of this inner relationship. Us being in him as he is in the Father and he and the Father being in us as they indwell us through their spirit who lives within us. This intimate, interwoven relationship is the essence of of discipleship. Discipleship is not some Tuesday night program. It's not some 12-week program. It's not even kind of an arm or a, a, a ministry of the church. Discipleship is the whole life of Christian living. Amen. Jesus calls disciples to come and to follow Him. And that requires that we're with Him, that we're near Him. To be a disciple is to be at the feet of another, to learn. You know, you're not a student unless you show up for the classes. Even the online classes. You're not a student unless you log in and read what the professor has written, answer the questions that have been provided, have been asked of you, write the papers that are being required. You're not a student unless you're actually doing studious things. You're not a disciple unless you're actually doing discipling type things. And the whole sum of that is captured in this simple phrase, this simple invitation that Jesus makes to Matthew. Follow me. This is that to which Jesus calls us. He calls us to Himself, and incidentally, as He calls us to Himself, He calls us to others. He calls us to sit at His feet and He calls us to enter into the lives of others. And our response, the response that we call faith, can merely be a reply of yes in our words, in our lives, in our behavior, and in our actions. Matthew arose and followed Him. His reply is very simple. It's Kind of stunningly simple. Jesus just walks up to this man while he's working and says, follow me. And Matthew says, okay, I'll do it. And he leaves. Bill was in Vegas this past week at a, a, a big flooring show. What would it look like if Jesus just walked up one day and said, come with me? And that meant you just leave everything. Leave what you're doing. Amen. Hey, i I've got somewhere else I've got to be. I'll try to call you later. Follow me. He rose and followed him. So if we're asking this question, where is Jesus? Where Christ is? We we ought to wrestle with this idea of where He can be found. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus at? 
Well, if we take seriously the gospel records, we find that he is before us. He stands before us and he offers us the invitation to follow. Jesus walks into our lives, presents himself, and calls each one of us, follow me. And so where are we? If Jesus steps before us and invites us to follow, where is it that he finds us? Does he find us at our tax booth, doing our work? Does he find us on the job? Does he find us in the home? Does he find us in the midst of dealing with difficult situations? Does he find us when we're being cursed out by a boss? Because Jesus walks into our everyday lives and he says, follow me. That's where he's found. Where is Jesus? He is before us. He stands before us. He interrupts our lives, our daily living. He walks in and inserts himself and says, follow me. Sometimes that means packing our bags and moving away. Sometimes that means enrolling for classes to become another thing in life. Sometimes that means being faithful in those things that He's placed us. But He always stands before us and He always says very simply, follow me. Jesus told His disciples that He is before us in the presence of others. Whatever you've done to the least of these brothers of mine, you've done to me. Whether it's been visiting the prisoner, whether it's been being with those who are sick, whether it is being caring for the orphan, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. When you've given a cup of water to one in need, you've given it to me. And so He stands before us. He stands before us in our neighbor. Love your neighbors as you love your very own selves. He stands before us in our enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for those who curse you. Bless those who use you. We don't like to be used. I know I don't like to be used. I know you don't like to be used. Bless those. Jesus was not a southerner. He wasn't saying, oh, bless their heart. Bless them. Where is Christ? Matthew's story continues. And it continues very oddly and rapidly. And I think it's, that's for a purpose. Jesus passes on. He goes to Matthew, follow me. Matthew arises, follows him. And then the very next verse says, And now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house. What house? Which house? 
Why are they at a table? They behold many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Now we kind of miss the uh, the gravity of the situation because we think, well, what's what's so wrong with that? The tax collectors in first century Palestinian life they were hated by the run of the mill Jewish folk. The tax collectors were those who had apprenticed themselves, who had loaned themselves out to Rome to collect taxes for Rome, for the Roman Empire. They served at Herod's bequest. And how they made their income was saying, okay, you owe Caesar 10, you owe me 5, and so you owe the government 15%. The Jewish people, that, number one, they felt they were being ripped off here, but number two, they felt betrayed. You're working for those who have their thumbs in our backs. And you're supposed to be one of us. There he is. Between the tax collectors and the sinners. Perhaps Matthew is throwing a party. He's invited his friends and his associates. He's leaving his profession. He's going to follow Jesus. He is going to be a disciple of this rabbi who has said, follow me. And so he invites his people. The people he's rubbed shoulders with. The people that he's lived life with. The people with whom he's worked. The people with whom he has spent his days. Where is Christ? He's between the tax collectors and the sinners. This was a a problem. This was a stone of stumbling. An issue for the Pharisees. To try to shame Jesus' disciples, they kind of whisper off to the side, what in the world is your rabbi doing? Look at these people he's hanging out with. What kind of rabbi does that? What kind of rabbi stoops himself to hang out with that type of person? We could jump our imaginations ahead to the crucifixion and be reminded that Christ was numbered among the criminals with thieves on either side of him. Jesus makes himself at home among sinners. That's what the story of Christmas is about. The fact that the Son would come It would live life among us. Where is He? He is before us. And He is between the tax collectors and the sinners. Wherever Christ is, we find an invitation. We find Him inviting us to come. Come and follow. 
When Christ shows up, He invites us. His presence invokes a response. How will we respond to His invitation to come? Will we follow? Or will we say, no, I think I've got life about figured out. I appreciate the invitation, however. Where Christ is, there's an invitation to come. And where Christ is, there is hope. There is hope for those who are despised and rejected. There is hope for those who have been forgotten and left out. There is hope for those who have betrayed others to be reconciled. There is always hope where Christ is. But there's also a level of discomfort. There's a certain measure of discomfort. When Christ shows up, our worlds are shaken. When we notice that Christ is standing before us and that He's whispering, follow me, there's always that measure of discomfort. What's this going to cost me? What's this going to mean? When I take my fingers off of my life, what happens next? When I say yes to Jesus, what comes after? Where is He going to lead me? To whom is He going to lead me? There's always that uncomfortableness that comes with Jesus. Jesus says... Those who are well don't need to see the doctor. You ever go to the doctor for like just a normal checkup and you're kind of told, yeah, everything looks good. See you in six months. And you think, in six months I'm going to show back up and give that guy another $30 to tell me I'm all right, I'm not dying? Jesus says, I've come... To be a physician to those who are sick. I, I love how Jesus is always kind of sticking it to people. And it's not just the Pharisees. It's, it's often the Pharisees and we like to beat up on those guys. But he, he sticks it to his disciples sometimes in the Gospels. And Jesus sticks it to them and kind of throws a riddle to them. Almost like a really good hobbit. You know? Going to offer a riddle for you to kind of wrestle with. He says, why don't you go and think about this? What does it mean that I desire mercy, not sacrifice? He's quoting the Old Testament there. But he throws that little riddle to him. What do you think this means? You teachers of the law, you who have life put together, you who think you've got it all figured out, why don't you go and ponder this and think on these things? He says, I've come to call not the righteous, not those who have life all fit together nice and neatly, but I've, call, I've come to call sinners to repentance. 
Now, before we kind of get up in arms with this language of sinners and the righteous and that sort of thing, because normally we, we do that. That's kind of a tendency uh, that we in our culture have. You know, well, everybody's a sinner and everybody sins and there's no sin worse than any other sin. And, you know, we, we kind of get off into that strange land. Um, Jesus uses this term sinners and Matthew in his gospel uses this term sinners very, very carefully. They're not using it as like a, a category, a, a catch-all, because everybody's there. Matthew's making a point. Jesus is hanging out with some rough guys. He's hanging out with a crowd that wouldn't be showing up for church on a Sunday morning. He's hanging out with a bunch of people who have little, if anything, more than disdain to offer the Pharisees and those religious types. Jesus says, I've come to rescue those who are in need of rescuing. I've come to call those who are out on the fringes. I've come to call those who are forgotten. I've come to call those who have made a mess of their lives. I've come to call those who have betrayed others. I've come to to put back together those lives that are shattered and broken. Amen. I have a, a couple of suggestive questions that I want you to think about. Hear me out and think about this and think about what is happening in this pericope, this little snapshot, this little vignette in Matthew's Gospel. Think about the text. Think about what is happening as Jesus comes to Matthew and says, follow me. And then the very next verse we read, he's sitting at the table with these, this rough crowd of people and the Pharisees are wondering, what in the world? Think about this and ask yourself this question. If you're not actively following Jesus, how much of a Christian are you really? That's the first question. If you're not actively following Jesus, how much of a Christian are you really? Put personally, if I'm not actively following Jesus, if my relationship with Him is not leading me somewhere in life, if it's just kind of on the back burner, or if it's just kind of mellowing out, if I'm not actively following Jesus... How much of a Christian am I really? That's the first question. The second question is this, and it's going to sound almost as though it contradicts the first one. 
Almost. The second question I want you to ask yourself is this. If you're not sharing time with sinners, how closely are you following Jesus, really? So what I'm asking myself is, if I, Adam Godbold, am not sharing time, I'm using sharing time because spending time sounds like it's a waste. If I'm not sharing time with sinners, with the unlovely people, with the irreligious people, with people whose lives are a mess, if I'm not sharing time with sinners, how closely am I following Jesus really? Those two things almost seem to contradict each other because we've got this imagination in, uh, in, our, in our culture that following Jesus means you stay away from certain types of people. You know, it, it means you keep, a, you keep a, a, clean, a clean, clean testimony for everybody else. Which assumes you stay away from certain people, you stay away from certain things, you don't go certain places. And we've got this kind of negative view of holiness or righteousness. We think holiness is not this and not that. Rather than thinking of it as a positive thing, which is what the scriptures Call holiness. It is, it is a, an illumined, a brilliant, a bright, and a shining life. It's a life of love, not just a life of not sin. We often tell ourselves we ought to stay away from certain folks. Number one, we don't want to be seen with them. Number two, they're just going to drag us down. Well, if they're going to drag us down, we need to stop being wimps. You know, if most of us aren't most of us aren't in seventh grade anymore. None of you are in seventh grade. My kids are not yet there. But if I'm not spending time, there I am using the word spending time, or the phrase, if I'm not spending time with folks that others are going to think, what's he doing spending time with that guy? How closely can I be following Jesus? Because that's where we see Jesus in the Gospels. Not exclusively, But it's there. Remember, where Christ is, we are invited, we're given hope, but we're also made a little bit uncomfortable. And if our lives 
aren't just a little bit uncomfortable, perhaps we ought to reevaluate them. Perhaps we ought to reconsider that decision we made to say, yes, I'll follow Jesus. Not to change the decision, but to take it seriously. Because the gospel is about God's mission to the world to redeem it. To redeem people who are in deep and pressing need. And he says, follow me. Follow me. Let's pray.